0: Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back,
1: This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to The Coindesk Podcast Network.
2: Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Coindesk TV's The Hash. I am with two amazing people. I'm with Will and I'm with Sandali. Let's, let's kick it off.
3: Let's get the news going, right? Don't no time you'll like the it, present. you
2: kick it off. You got to do this.
3: Let's talk about some news. Let's go back to BlockFi. We haven't talked about BlockFi in a few months. Apparently, there's some new information about some executives leaving the firm as FTX is looking to possibly buy out BlockFi. BlockFi, of course, was a huge lending provider during the bull market. Assets under management exceeded the billions. Right now, it doesn't look like it's worth that much. There's a deal on the table with FTX US to purchase a firm for about $250 million, but that could even be less depending on different milestones BlockFi can hit. We have three executives leaving, leaving the firm. They have various roles and various titles at the company, basically all directors, heads of sales, putting up new markets. It does make sense that they're interested in leaving based on the fact that a lot of the equity from BlockFi was taken away from most of the employees following all the disturbances it had in May and June. A lot of the deals to get BlockFi out of the situation basically meant that people who had a vested interest in the company lost it in order to save their jobs. Wendy, I want to throw this one down to you since you have a little bit more experience working with these companies or at least using them. Interested to get your take on these execs leaving? To me, it makes sense, right? Like, if I Had a rough time, probably time to go somewhere else.
2: I honestly think it's kind of a good thing, especially if they're going to be absorbed by a giant like FTX US. And one of the reasons why is when you're looking at these types of companies, even crypto exchanges, the customer should always come first. And this should be something that happens on a global scale with any business. So maybe these guys stepping down is a good thing. Maybe they don't want to work under new management. Who really knows? But either way, I just want people to be made whole again and the customers to get what they deserve to get their money back or how that's going to play out. And if it takes these guys stepping down, I think that that may be a good idea because maybe BlockFi wouldn't have been in the situation they were in if those people didn't work there.
3: On the flip side, though, you also don't know from their angle, like maybe they kind of got a raw deal as well, right? That's the tough thing about being in a crypto startup is you're there, things are going well, everything's peachy, you're making a lot of money. and then all of a sudden, the bear market comes and the bomb falls out and you're sort of left holding it back, wondering... Was it worth all my time and energy to be there? And that's just really part of being crypto, right? It's very cyclical. Things go up, things go down very fast. And Behind all those numbers are people. A lot of times those people have equity. And if you are in a startup that did really well, did really hot, but made some poor decisions like BlockFi or like any of these other lending providers that exploded in June, well, then you're probably going to be left holding a pretty empty bag. Sundali?
4: Yeah, well, you're right. I mean, I get why, why they left. And from the looks of it, The equity situation isn't in their favor, obviously. But on the other hand, it's kind of upsetting that executives have the option of just kind of washing their hands and leaving at this point because things didn't work out for them. I'm sure it hasn't been easy or fun for them either, but they were not your like junior level employee and, you know, they need to leave in order for new change to happen. But a small part of me just, bother that, you know, this is a big company and it'll float somehow and these folks will find other jobs. But I keep thinking this is also a company that marketed itself as an exchange platform with reasonable fees, targeting retail investors. And they're being forgotten in most of these stories, which sound more like a lot of Wall Street style shenanigans these days to me. But I get all your points of view and they're all valid. It's It's just an interesting and tough time for crypto, I guess.
3: Yeah, I I think we're going to see more stories like this as well. Wendy, I'll give it to you, though.
4: Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just very,
2: I'm like high on coffee, but also very tired. I love it. It's my my daughter's (laughs) first week of school, first grade. Let's go. Um, Oh, how exciting. Yeah, except we're exhausted because we're waking up super early. But anyways, back to this. I get it. But at the same time, I just, I don't know. I think that this is going to be. I don't want this to come off the wrong way. We're experiencing growing pains. Crypto is experiencing growing pains right now. And this might be kind of a necessary evil to expand and to further protect retail investors. So I'm kind of on the fence with this. But at the same time, I really care more about retail than I do with these high level execs and their poor decisions that they made.
3: Yeah, last thought on this one for me is like the equity situation is rough. And I do think like when you have a firm or exchange like this blow up, then your equity is basically scrapped. And most people think of equity as a lottery ticket anyways, not necessarily going to turn into anything. It's just there and it might do well. Coinbase exited, right? But how long did it take for Coinbase to exit? And how much work, sweat, tears and blood did it take for them to get that equity? took quite a while. I asked Brian Armstrong about it. He had to go through a lot to get that exchange to go public. So oftentimes, it is just sort of a pat on the back when you're going out the door and going public to get, to get that equity. Don't always feel bad about that. I think from a human angle, this would be a great story, maybe like talking about how difficult it is to work in crypto and how difficult it is to work at a crypto startup, how much time to put into it. It's a 24-7 market and in very many ways, it becomes a 24-7 job. Pretty tough. Winnie, to you, I think I saw your hand go up, but then we can bounce to the next story.
2: Last thought is like when I think about crypto, Bitcoin, NFT, Web3, it's all essentially in beta. It's all of these things are startups. So we know the risk going into investing or advising, et cetera. So, I mean, anytime that I advise on a project or I do consulting or anytime I'm offered equity, I take it, like you said, as a lottery ticket. I don't expect anything from it. If something hits big, fantastic. If it doesn't, it is what it is. And I try to hedge, you know, doing different things as well. Those moon bags, those moon bags are great.
4: Absolutely, and retail investors first. I'm with you on that. Um, yes, so I have the next story. I think it's a lawsuit. It's lawsuit season in crypto, and there's so many of them. Honestly, it has been tough to keep up with all of them. But this one's interesting. A group of six crypto users is suing the U.S. Treasury Department for blacklisting Tornado Cash. They are saying the Treasury Sanction Arm OFAC overstepped its authority in prohibiting all American persons from interacting with the crypto mixer, because it's not an entity, person, or organization, which is usually their kind of remit. The six plaintiffs are Coinbase employees Tyler Almeida and Nate Welch, Prismatic Labs co-founder Preston Van Loon, Grid Plus engineer Kevin Vitale, and angel investor Alex Fisher, as well as former Amazon engineer Joseph Van Loon. According to the filing, they all had some Ether locked in tornado cash, which they then used for things like donating funds to Ukraine and protecting their private wallets from being linked to their public online identities. They're all alleging the OFAC designation violated their First Amendment rights to engage in important socially valuable speech and their Fifth Amendment rights, which protect against self-incrimination because uh, they were not notified before their ETH was frozen. So they want the court to declare the OFAC designation null and void. Just to clarify, the OFAC's specially designated nationals list is made up of blacklisted individuals or companies that are owned by or are acting on behalf of countries targeted by OFAC for sanctions. So the move to sanction Tornado Cash has obviously received a lot of backlash from crypto communities around the world. And I'm really keen to hear what you guys make of this complaint. Well, I see you nodding a lot, so you go first.
3: Just loving what you're putting out there. I think this is a really interesting story, uh-huh. and I've been waiting for a lawsuit <laughs> to be thrown out. And I love that Coinbase is behind this. Coinbase has actually been getting a lot of flack recently following this Tornado Cash thing because of, well, many reasons. But mainly because the merge is coming up, and Coinbase has such a large validator network. A lot of people were concerned that Coinbase might censor things on the Ethereum network because of this tornado cash ruling. And that's a whole rabbit hole we don't need to go down right now. But for those interested in it, definitely a conversation on crypto Twitter lately. Seeing Coinbase behind this lawsuit gives me like a little hope that Coinbase is still on the right side of this, right? They're still punching, trying to fight the big dogs and get crypto into the mainstream. From this story itself, the interesting things to me are not only the claims that they make, the Fifth Amendment being one, right? they have the right not to criminalize themselves in this situation by having Ether and not really knowing that this was going to come down. The fact that they were also holding Ether for whatever purposes, mostly just to remain private, uh, you can use Tornado Cash to obfuscate like any sort of addresses you have before, before using another protocol. Also, seems that they donate to Ukraine and then the, the find Ukraine and use tornado cash in order to break the transaction history between themselves and that donation. Just basic privacy, online security tips, right? They were doing very normal things. And now they're going after the US government, trying to back this up, trying to get the record straight. Uh, and I hope they win, right? This is going to be a very big thing for crypto. And I hope that there's a lot of industry pressure. I love, again, seeing coin news behind this. I hope more people pile into this because I do think there's a very strong case. The last thing I'll note is that this OFAC sanction went after software, right? Like there's been things in the past, like blunder.io and other mixers that the US government has gone after. But in this case, there wasn't a person behind it. Yes, there's tornado cache developers, but they launched the application and let it just spin out in the ether and didn't touch it. These other mixers, they had to have someone mixing, right? They had to have someone behind the keyboard in order to keep these things going. Very different. And I don't think OFAC did a good job at looking at the two different situations and understanding that. Instead, they ended up essentially outlawing free speech, uh, at least free speech on the internet. Wendy, I'll give it to you for your take.
2: It's kind of almost like when you get arrested and they don't read you your Miranda rights and then the case gets dismissed. That's really what this seems like. It seems like they didn't do their due diligence. They're not understanding how code works. They're not understanding how technology crypto works. And it's going to be very problematic for a lot of regulators. And one of the reasons why is you cannot create a law or a bill if you haven't actually had experience in the industry. That's my personal opinion. It doesn't make sense to me when I even see folks write new bills regarding healthcare. If you haven't worked in the healthcare industry, you have no business, no business at all writing any type of laws or bills, or if you haven't had a bad experience. I get, you know, the need to kind of protect people, but at the same time, it just kind of seems contradictory. Like, would you want to pay, for example, would you want to pay, let's say, $100 for a steak to be made from a chef that's not even a chef? I wouldn't. I wouldn't at all. wouldn't it make sense. They would totally destroy it. Um, I'm actually also really surprised that Coinbase is behind it because I feel like Coinbase is in bed with the public servants. We, I know that they're working with ICE. They're doing a lot of things and it's very public. So it's very interesting to see that they're kind of clapping back and fighting which I love, and I'm not understanding why we don't see more big companies in crypto do this. The only company that really sticks out to me that has been doing a good job advocating for our rights has been Ripple. And I don't know if it's just because they have the money to do so or what the deal is. Maybe other people are scared. Who knows? But I'm very vocal on my channels about the overreach of the SEC and the other public servants, especially in California when it does come to retail investors and traders, because we need some sort of representation. And when we're talking about the service of Tornado Cash, which kind of correlates with my next story, I understand that there's people doing bad things. There's going to be people doing bad things with cash in every single industry. You cannot stop human nature. What you can do is is you can kind of take a step back, look at what's happening, and maybe go after the people that are doing bad things and not punish everybody. I didn't do anything wrong with Tornado Cash. I don't think you guys did either. And to punish all of the United States because of a few bad actors is absolutely ridiculous. And if we want to be able to donate and hide those transactions and stay anonymous, I think that that's a human right. And I think that privacy is important.
4: Absolutely. And not only is this sort of, you know, looking at how crypto works and, you know, whether or not they understand how crypto works or how coding works, but it's also, you know, questioning how these sanctions are applied. Like what is the OFACs? How far does the treasury's authority go? And, how is that defined? And are they allowed to do this? So, so it's, it's kind of pushing back on a lot of different issues and look at crypto, you know, pushing the boundaries everywhere. I, I think it's uh, such an interesting, like of the sea of lawsuits that I have had to cover this, these last few months, this one seems uh, the most promising to me. CoinDesk
1: has a new event. It's called Ideas, the Investing in Digital Assets and Enterprises Summit. It facilitates capital flow and market growth by connecting the digital economy with traditional finance. Join us for a 360 investment experience where you can source, invest, and secure the next big deal in digital assets all in one place. Use code hash20 for 20% off a general pass. Register today at coinest.com forward slash ideas.
2: In relation to this story, we have to talk about how cryptocurrency community is making it difficult for North Korean hackers to profit. And apparently there was 30 million dollars seized. And that came from crypto game Axie Infinity. So it's been estimated that there's been, that North Korea linked groups have stolen approximately one billion of cryptocurrency from DeFi protocols. And the Lazarus group stole over 600 million and carried out hundreds of transactions across different blockchains to launder funds. And the Axie Infinity team has just announced results from the investigation following the theft of over 600 million from the Ronin network. And the seizures represent approximately 10% of total funds stolen in Axie Infinity. And this was all done by chain analysis crypto incident. Response team, they played a big role in the seizures. Did you guys want to show the graphics so we can show the audience how this looks? See those you graphics. Got to see those graphics. Got to see, see those, those graphics. Control. Yay, we got Ooh. it. But basically, this is what it looks Ooh. like. Um, it looks like a diagram that you would draw in elementary school, but mm-hmm. it is very, very effective. But it basically proves like no matter how much you try to hide bad transactions or bad things you're doing, if you have the right tools and the right know-how, you can figure out who's doing bad things. So when we're talking about the a tornado cache being banned in the US, it just goes to show that they didn't need to ban it. They just needed to use different techniques and hire the right people to kind of take a look at this. I want to get Will's take since he is nodding his head. I'm
3: nodding way too much today. You guys are calling me out. Chainalysis stays winning. Uh, that's the interesting thing to me here. A lot of people do not like analysis. A lot of people do not like any of these crypto tracker platforms ellipsis or elliptical chain houses whatever you have they don't like them right why don't they like them because there's this privacy desire within crypto in general people don't like it when their transactions are being watched but that's the nature of blockchains you're basically always able to see where things are going unless they go through a mixer like tornado cash or you're really really good at breaking these transactions up and sending them tons of different wallets and then bringing them back together so you're able to cash out into physical fiat. In this case, we see that the U.S. government and Chainalysis were able to track all this money and were able to, I guess, get some of it back. Though that didn't, was not detailed very explicitly in the article itself, how they were able to seize the money. They did show pretty in depth, especially with that graphic showing like how the Ronin hackers went from a token to ETH, ETH to a different token, then to Bitcoin, and then they cashed out from Bitcoin on different exchanges. That's typically how these things are done, right? You just keep swapping and swapping and swapping, you go to different wallets, different wallets, and different wallets. You use lots of different DeFi protocols. And then at the end of the day, you find some sort of looser exchange that will allow you to move into USD or a USD based token and then cash out from there. It's really hard. It's really difficult. You have to be watching all your transactions, you have to make sure there's enough liquidity to get that money out, but they're able to do it. Then you have chain analysis come along and find out what's going on here and they track it down. They're able to get back some of that money. 10% is not a ton and hopefully that money does go back into some people's hands who lost money at the, during the run-in hack of last year. I think it was actually March of 2020, so about six months ago or 2022 rather. I hope they're able to get that money back, but we'll see what happens with that. The process is always so long for the US government to put money back in the hands of people when they claim it from bad actors. To me, this story just tells you about how hard it is to use crypto still for illicit purposes. I know lots of people like talking about how, oh, you know, you can hack someone, you can go steal from a bridge. Those are just headlines, though, often, right? A lot of times these are big hacks and numbers. That money just sits there. I mean, look at the Bitfinex hack from 2016. It was like $4.5 billion worth of Bitcoin. That money just basically sat in a wallet and nobody was really able to use it. And the U.S. government came along a few years later was able to find who did it or allegedly who did it. We're still finding it on court and then take it. So I think this story tells you how hard it is to use crypto for illegal purposes. We'll see what the mainstream media take is on that. Sandali, I throw it back over to you.
4: Thanks. Well, I was also going to say like, when are the investors going to get their money back? But since you brought it up, I'd like to also talk a little bit about, you know, the business of blockchain analytics right now. It's Blockchain analytics has become like such a hugely competitive field in the last few years. And they're always looking for ways to kind of stand out in terms of the quality and the types of products and services they offer, which, like you said, goes against the kind of ethos of these things have to be private. We saw Elliptic announce earlier this year, like the next-gen cross-chain tracking product. We saw TRM Labs launch Russia sanction screening tools this year. But... It's these kind of high-level investigations that grabs headlines, kind of. These big sums being recovered after multi-million dollar crypto exploits. And North Korea and the Ronin hack was a big one. So I'm definitely, like you said, amused by uh, kind of the triumphant tone in this report. They're definitely making the most of this. And it's the first time ever that crypto stolen by North Korean hacking groups has been seized and definitely winning on this one. I'd also like to note, as you said, the chain analysis report mentions Tornado Cash by name as one of the tools used by North Korean hackers in their five-step money laundering routine. So it's, it's, that's interesting, too, and not so much in favor of the mix's reputation at this time. Yeah, Wendy, I want to jump I'll in there really you... quick before we close, oh, if we, we can. You.
3: On the Tornado Cash thing, I want to talk about that, because it is interesting that Tornado Cash was cited in this, and we also have this lawsuit at the same time, I think it just tells you how important and how difficult it is to define privacy with cryptocurrency, Mm -hmm. right? Can I use Tornado Cash for donating to Ukraine? Yes, I can. That's a good thing. Can I use Tornado Cash for also mixing laundered funds from the road hack? Yes, I can also do that. Both purposes are definitely very different, but one is good (laughs) and they're both like, it's difficult to say like, I want to cut one off just because you can use it for something else. And that's where this idea of blockchains as being very passive, neutral technology stacks comes about. And hopefully we have legislators that look at it and understand that is the case. And they start going after the bad actors instead of the technology stack. But Wendy, I'll give it to you.
2: I agree with what you both said. There's Again, there's a pro and there's a con to all of this. And I just really, really value my privacy and want them to lift that ban because tornado cash is important. People deserve privacy. Yes, there's always going to be bad actors. And realistically, if we're going to introduce a CBDC to the U.S., we're going to have to kind of allow some of these things to occur because I want to keep my transactions private. I, want, I don't want people knowing when I'm going to target, what products I'm buying, etc. In closing, those are my thoughts. And thank you all for watching and listening to the Hash CoinDesk TV. The Hash, Will and Sindali, I hope you guys have
1: a fantastic Thursday. Go eat some delicious tacos.